Okay. I did have something I wanted to address to the Bitcoin community about Ethereum. All right, cool. All right. We, we, we discussed, I mean, during the interview, we discussed the fact that they can coexist together and allow for more utility if they work together. So we can talk a lot about that. That's what I was going to touch on. Jeez, man, right. we read each other's minds. We're like the VR troopers. Yeah, yeah. Or the yeah. Uh, the Beetleborgs. We're strict. We're, we're uh, I got nothing. Never mind. Go ahead. Just come on, man. Teams of three. Give us one team of three. Team of three? What are those fucking... It wasn't you... Ninja Turtles. It was... That's four, man. No, what I'm not talking about it. it was a video game, and it was like a, it was like I think they were frogs. You talking about the battle toads? Battle toads. There were two of those. You sure? Pretty sure, yeah. No, maybe there were three. Hold up. Tree sharks. Ah, there's three of those. Oh, dude, biker mice from Mars. I was just about to say that, man. Should have spoke up. Now there we were three battle toads. You're right, and the one that was clearly the black battle toad, carrying that axe and having a black face. Black face. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 55. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number 2D. And regular introduction was number three, Corey. Uh, this, is our, this is our last episode before we've done this for a full year, guys. Really? Yeah, we started in May of 2015. Hot damn. Hot damn. Th- th- shouldn't we like be celebrating this? I feel like we should have known about this. I feel like we should have more money. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's no well, shame in I- our game. I can give you about $3.33 by uh, telling you that we're brought to you by escrowmybits.com. Mm. Go that ahead. for me. That, that buys me a, <laughs> a McDouble. All right. Let's, let's everybody get their McDoubles. So let me tell you how this works. It's super fast, and it only takes three steps. You register and deposit your Bitcoin. The seller ships the item. The buyer checks the goods, and then they release the funds. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. They currently offer Bitcoin escrow on a chain pegged to a fiat value using NuBits. And if you're not familiar with NuBits, let me just tell you that there's no complex math at the point of sale because NuBits is the world's first stable digital currency. They charge a flat escrow fee of 1% on all the transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. So we here at the Bitcoin Podcast... We've done this a lot. We're on episode 55. We want there to be no longer any excuses on why to not to use escrow. <clears throat> so start the process. Go to their website. Sign up for the newsletter. That's escrowmybits.com. Nice. So uh, I wanted to read uh, kind of an, an excerpt that someone posted on the pending halving event. 
And then I wanted to kind of get you guys' thoughts, kind of get the ball rolling. What do you guys think? I'm down with Heart that bad. shit. Get that ball rolling. All right. It's it's fitting, too, because we have uh, the founding member of – or a founding member of the Ethereum project on. So it kind of ties in. So someone wrote in and said that the core is completely clueless about their customer base needs. A Bitcoin failure – uh, with the Ethereum growth is most likely the outcome that we're going to see. Almost exactly on track is the Bitcoin price, which is rising just as he expected in advance of the halving. A rising price that is disconnected from the network conditions introduces instability. So when the halving bubble pops, the panic will be greater than if price slowly declined from its previous 420 level. Interest in Ethereum has fallen lower after Ethereum's last bubble. However, Ethereum has established itself as at least the second currency, and I still believe that Ethereum will see a surge as developers and investors seek a safe haven in June. And then, Dimitric, on your interest, he says that Litecoin, on the other hand, has suffered what could turn out to be a game-ending setback because community members didn't take action on the block size issue before Bitcoin gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. So how accurate do you think all that those predictions? Yeah, I read are? this. This is something I read the other day and I'm not I don't know. I don't, I don't have very many Litecoin anymore. I think he is it's got somewhat of a doomsday idea of Bitcoin, and I don't know if it's all true. I don't have very good reasons. Like I don't have proof or like hard reasoning to say to say otherwise. But my overall feeling about everything that he says is he's almost created a future for himself and he's looking for positive ways to make sure that, that, that his, his predictions are going. And, but he's been, he's also been pretty reliable in the past with his predictions on things. So it's, it's hard to say. I don't, I think Bitcoin's, it's not too big to fail. I don't want to say that because that's not the right way to put it. But it has a really good history of chugging along and not dying. Mm-hmm. And it can get through just about anything. It, and there's no reason why it can't get through this either. It's, I, don't, I don't think the happening is going to kill the entire network. There may be a setback, and the price will reflect that. But overall, it will continue to be perfectly fine and in the future. Because right, we're not ready right now for... Massive adoption. We want massive adoption, but we don't have the infrastructure. It's not easy enough. Um, it's it's still kind of niche money until we have more and more services that allow people to use Bitcoin without them knowing they're using it. And things like Plutus and mm-hmm. other things coming online to make it easier, it's definitely getting closer to that. It's just still going to take a lot longer because these things take a while to be built. So... I don't think that, in like my personal opinion, I don't think that the happening and the other things that ha- are happening along with the happening, so it's like, you know, uh, Core's introduction to SegWit. And a lot of, so a lot of things are happening all at once. But that doesn't mean that it's creating a perfect storm for Bitcoin to fail completely. We may lose some us- usability in the short term. Until we have things like not lightning network that enable massive scaling, but I think just because that, we lose some some you know just because you use some lose some usability for a small short time 
does it mean that the whole thing fails? That's that's not how fragile this system is. So he's but talking propaganda then, pretty much. I, I think that he's 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 found himself into a certain conclusion, and then now he's building everything, all the evidence around this conclusion as a type of confirmation bias. Since I want to talk about mass adoption, though. Um, we mass adoption is the only thing that matters. That's kind of our motto. It's kind of the thing that we lead with. And a lot of people in the community, Andreas included, they, they say that the infrastructure isn't ready yet. The infrastructure isn't built yet. But then I sit and I tumble around past massively adopted technologies. The infrastructure usually isn't built until a little bit after it's super duper popular. It's somewhere in that phase between, oh, this is getting super popular to this is super popular. Right after that, we start building infrastructure for it. We didn't build a highway until there were so many damn roads. I mean, so many cars out on these roads that we needed to build a highway and freeway system. Okay, but there are already roads. There are already roads for the cars. The highways came as a fix to the infrastructure that was already there. Well, what about before the roads? There was like roads for horses. And then cars were just getting in the way. Yeah, but digital mass adoption should be quicker than that kind well, of I'm just, mass I'm just talking metaphorically. I was talking about infrastructure. You're right. But like, the cars sucked on the roads, and they weren't very popular. They were, they were something that the rich used as, as, as a play toy, a ridiculously rich play toy. And they weren't, they weren't considered something that everyone's going to have back well, then when there weren't roads. Let's talk so, about something a little more simple. Like, what about the microwave? Like, the microwave took... It didn't take very long to catch on at all, but it still took a while before the infrastructure was in place. And now you can't get a kitchen without having a microwave cabinet in it. They hey, that's interesting. They were, they were incredibly expensive and they were something for the rich. And but so, nobody knows how a microwave works. They just own it. What if that's the way Bitcoin is? Like there's no that's banks. That's the way it's going to be. I mean, I have you to don't do know. Now. People make the exact same. Yeah, well, of course you do. Person. People <laughs> make the exact same analogy when it comes to the internet, right? It's, yes. it's always you know the, the the canonical analogy. No one knows how TCP/IP works. No one knows how HTTPS works. But they definitely use the fucking internet every day for everything that they do. Well, I get that. That's because after something becomes popular, people then build the infrastructure for it to be very very easy to access and i think bitcoin's gonna follow that same thing like for instance electronic cars that's gonna be the future if you can't see that you're dumb i'm saying that and if we were streaming this live you see it there's no reason to be exploding ourselves down the highway and that's essentially what a combustion engine is that's what a combustion means so what's gonna happen as soon as electric cars uh, battery powered cars they're going to become more popular more popular they're going to start selling more of the combustion engines mm-hmm. and guess what then all of a sudden all over the highway you'll see charging stations instead of gas stations but it's only Toyota said that every car in their lineup will be electric by 2030 who said that Toyota so 2030 that's not very far from now and you see What's going to happen in between these 14 years when more and more electric cars on the road, then the infrastructure is starting to be built. Then yeah, but I would, call, I would call electric cars a minor, a minor revolution in comparison to going from horses to cars, right? It's, it's an improvement of what we already have. 
a, don't get me wrong, a very drastic improvement, but it's still an improvement of the exact same concept. I see what you're saying. The paradigm is different. The, the revolution of the way money works with Bitcoin, as opposed to traditional fiat currencies and, and, and traditional banking, is comparable to going from a horse to a car. Mm-hmm. Whereas going from a, a gasoline car, a combustion engine, to electric engine is comparable to changing the protocol of Bitcoin and making it more, like adding the lightning network, making the car better. Mm. But you're still using a car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the infrastructural change going from dirt roads to a connected network of real roads that horses can still use, the, the, the network of the infrastructure allows for faster innovation in things that couldn't have existed before. Okay. And so you kind of have to keep them relative to what they are. And I feel like we are building a road system right now, but we can't, like Bitcoin can't thrive until that road system is better. Yeah. The more roads that are built, the more use you'll have out of it. You'll have more adoption with the better infrastructure you have. But until you have a really, really good infrastructure that's just commonplace and everyone just assumes that it exists and takes it takes it for advantage, then you won't have massive worldwide adoption. You mm-hmm. can't. It has to be people that are curious about how roads work and why they're there, what they're made of, and so on. And how, you know, it's the same thing for Bitcoin, for people to jump in and get interested. And the more infrastructure you have, the easier it is to get people interested or not care. Mm. That's a, that, that's the way I see it. Well, I think we're going to be there soon, within the next three to five back, years for sure. Um, coming back to what Marcello started with. Yeah, Doomsday Guy. Doomsday Guy. I think the infrastructure is there, and he thinks there's going to be a massive offload from Bitcoin to Ethereum. I don't think that's true. Because Ethereum isn't built via money. And the infrastructure that's in place currently for Bitcoin is big enough to keep Bitcoin going. So, you know, a few minor slowdowns or setbacks, or only those, they're just setbacks to continue along the way, you know, the the momentum that we currently have. Listen, Doomsday Guy. That's not going to happen. I'm trying to find that post so I can attribute it to his name. I can't see um, he's a big miner, I think. So, did yeah, you have he's, he's, he's not really that like notable. Um, he's, he's been on the for a while. Either way, like a form dweller. Either but, way, um, <clears throat> Doomsday's not going to happen. Ethereum's price right now is built on speculation, um, and that's just about it. Now. Speculation, there's sensible speculation, there's nonsensical speculation. The sensible or rational speculation around Ethereum is that it is going to be this, it's going to basically turn the internet into one giant thinking computer that's doing thousands of applications all at the same time. And it's going to usher in the internet of things. And all of a sudden my computer will be talking to my garage door. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. If it does get up and running, which it does look like it's going to get up and running. So that's why I've speculated in Ethereum as I've invested in it because that sounds beautiful. It really does. Like if for some reason 
traffic lights were communicating with my car only as I drove down the road. And by the time I got home, my my house was at the perfect temperature that I like it. The garage was opening up as I pulled in the driveway and I didn't have to do anything but just ride in the car because it's all been talking to things on the Internet as I've been driving around very securely and privately. That's a beautiful future. I want that future. Uh, so I've invested in it. But that's still speculation because it still has to be built. So that's why I think the price of Ethereum is based on pure speculation. So we don't have the use cases out and being used right now for it to really have a lot of that built into the price right now. It's a lot of people that are like, Ethereum is going to be big and I'm trying to buy in now. And then you have people to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that guy's wrong. I think that his, uh, name, is, his name is Steve Sokolowski. Well, Steve suck a lot of dicks. Because <laughs> uh, you're wrong. I thought you were gonna edit yourself there. <laughs> no, you, no, you just went for it. It's like you committed and then uncommitted and then recommitted back to. The... It was a fork in the road. I could have went down a couple of names. Was interesting, which could have, which could, like the minor, the major setback I feel for the adoption of Bitcoin that he discusses in this post is that along the line when the happening occurs, and we and there we have there ends up being a problem with people using Bitcoin. Transactions aren't going through. They won't know why the transaction is not going through because all of the changes and things that are happening right now are like at that time, which will keep a lot of people from using it and those who are using it for their businesses to stop using it. Mm-hmm. But so what? It just it's it's less useful for a small amount of time until a new equilibrium is found and it becomes usable again. But in the end, when it becomes usable again, it's better off than it was before. So it can build and it's less likely to fall again, which is the whole idea. You're trying to make a resilient, stable network, but it has bugs that are trying that we're trying to fix. Yeah. That bug mainly being scalability. Yeah. The only thing that uh, makes Bitcoin so scary for people with their money is that bugs are then tied to their finances. So they're like, do I want to be invested or do I want to hold value in a thing that's a little buggy? And obviously, you know, a layman is like, no, no, I do not want to do that. I'm okay with dollars. Um, well, the dollar isn't necessarily stable right now, especially with the current status yeah. of the worldwide economy. And how banks are, you know, everyone's saying banks are on the, the process of failing. What happens when the banks fail and your dollars worth shit? Well, remember, banks are too big to fail. Well, that's 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 something that I feel isn't going to maintain that way for much longer. Why can't we just take that and take the converse of it? Can things be too faily to be big? No, because we have banks. Well, I mean, let's really evaluate the argument there. I think maybe some things can be too faily to be big. Like the fucking banks, man. Like, But they're big. So that, that's, that you've unproven that by 
an example. Well, stop being so logical. <laughs> and think like a dreamer. Um, well, there's a lot of things that fail. There's tons of things that fail that never become big because they're too buggy. So no one ever uses them. But we've chugged along doing the same thing for so long that it became faily after it was already essentially commonplace. Yeah. Because people could get away with more and more things because it got more and more complex and people stopped caring about how it worked and they could still do the thing they wanted to do. They talking could still about, go to the store and buy their buy their rice. You're talking like just you're talking about Justin Bieber, aren't you? He got so big and then he got too big for his britches. He's just the toolbox. He's not anymore. That's what this whole new album's about, Corey. Haven't you been listening? Mm. <laughs> I'm a fan of this pivot. <laughs> Let's get to our interview. Why were both of you guys moan so guttural? What was that? Mm. Anyway, an we got an interview coming. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce the guest, Cello. Uh, his name is Joseph, but his friends call him Joe. So I'm going to call him Joe. Joe Lubin. Uh, he just, uh, he's a founding member of the Ethereum project and he's mm-hmm. my friend. Uh, he's developing, <laughs> uh, consensus systems, which is called consensus with a Y, like the last Terminator movie, Genesis with a Y, and, uh, a startup designed to address the wide range of opportunities in this emerging space. And they build out parts of the next generation economy. And he, um, uh, from what I can tell, he doesn't give interviews that often, so this is pretty special. Yeah, we're bringing you guys the hot shit from the streets, and that's what we like to do here at the Bitcoin Podcast. We like to get the people that need to get a voice and give them a voice, and we bring them on the show, and they talk with that voice, and they give you guys information that you need. And so hopefully you like this interview as much as we liked uh, doing the interview. And thank you, Joe, for stopping by the studio. Oh, you can't call him Joe. You have to call him Joseph. I'm not. So he's not my friend. He's only your friend specifically. Well, he's just my friend. Okay. Well, Joseph, thank you for stopping by. Thanks, Joe. And <laughs> here <laughs> it is. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go. I guess let's go ahead and get started. All right. So first question that I have is, uh, when I was doing a little background research on you, you seem to be a, a, I guess, lack of a better term, a genius that has just a broad range of interests. I mean, we're talking electrical engineering, computer science, software engineering, consulting, uh, mobile robotics, the music industry, the list goes on and on. I suppose it was only a matter of time before finance and cryptocurrency caught your attention. Could you tell us a bit about your journey and how you ended up with the idea of the Ethereum project? Yeah, sure. So not a genius, but uh, (laughs) certainly interested in lots of different things uh, and uh, enjoyed change in my career and have been lucky enough to always pretty much do what I wanted to do, explore what I wanted to do and and find ways to get paid enough to to live on um, doing various different projects. Um, So I guess my... Um, awareness of Bitcoin was pretty inevitable. Um, I've been a technologist for a long time and uh, transitioned into the finance industry a little later in my career. So I did um, 
robotics and machine vision and software engineering for maybe 25 years and ended up doing some software engineering at the Goldman Sachs company. Um, <laughs> so we're on a project there in the private wealth management division here for technology stuff, but it, uh, it woke me up to some things, uh, financial, um, nine 11 was also an in- interesting event that, uh, uh, caused me and many other people to uh, look around and, and try to understand how things like the financial industry work. So um, it prompted lots of research. Um, cryptography was also an interest, so it was kind of impossible for me to miss Bitcoin. So I, got, I became aware of it uh, very early, but there wasn't really anything that I wanted to do in the space uh, from a business perspective because it was a pretty immature space. I, I mean, I loved it, but uh, um, I, I felt that all of the businesses early on were A, centralized, which was kind of silly, uh, and B, um, were kind of built by not uh, perhaps didn't have the maturity and experience to build uh, secure services on the protocol. So the Bitcoin protocol in those, uh, you know, 2011, 2012 was mostly rock solid, but uh, there were lots of failures uh, in these immature companies. Um, I, like many people, um, felt was kind of blown away by the vision expressed in the Bitcoin white paper and realized that the implications uh, went much further than just transmission and storage of a value token, that uh, uh, those components that form uh, an emergent decentralizing technology could be used to um, build out many, many different kinds of use cases, uh, essentially um, permeate all uh, economic, social, and political systems uh, with different kinds of use cases if, if structured correctly. And and many people um, tried different approaches, colored coins, master coins, meta protocols, um, basically the, the Bitcoin 2.0 space. And uh, um, when I read uh, the white paper that Vitalik Buterin wrote, uh, I read it uh, basically probably the first day of 2014, January 1st, 2014, um, and, and met, met him in Toronto uh, to discuss it. Um, it was basically that paper that, uh, for me, crystallized the mechanism um, that we could use to deliver all the promise that was uh, inherent in that uh, initial Bitcoin white paper. And so uh, six of us, um, including, well, seven of us formed around Vitalik to start the Ethereum project, fund the Ethereum project, and deliver Ethereum. And uh, uh, nine months ago, we released version one, um, and it's been running extremely beautifully. We have a roadmap towards scalability. I expect uh, that will be achieved uh, within... 18 months to two years uh, and essentially for average software developers to build sophisticated applications within the full security of the Ethereum protocol um, and with fully decentralized data, with fully decentralized programs. Um, so it's it's really a trust-minimized decentralized application platform, which, uh, you know, a lot of people are still attracted to Bitcoin, but it, it's, it's really hard to build stuff on Bitcoin. 
You know, I what I found interesting about a lot of this is, like, it's just in terms of consensus, is that um, not only do you really have a good grasp on the core technology and the, the the technical aspects of how this works, but you spend a lot of time and effort educating at a very high level what what's going on. And I, this this is you know evident in a lot of the videos get released, a lot of your medium posts, and one of consensus medium posts that particularly comes into, into mind um, for this is uh, titled The Lifestyle Revolution, Enabling Professional Self-Determination, which you paint quite a vivid picture of what life could be like in you know, just 10 years from now, 2026. 2026. Uh, it isn't crazy futuristic with floating sky cities, and but it's, it's magnificent nonetheless. And um, I wanted to say that I think it shows realistically uh, what this technology is capable of and how it affects the way we live and interact with, with cryptocurrencies. And so from automated cars tipping each other to let them pass in a hurry to a personalized reputation card that acts like a universal passport along these lines, would you mind sharing with our listeners and with us uh, some real things they can expect to see in the near future? Sure. So I, I think uh, all of us are, are kind of amazed and even overwhelmed by the exponential development of technology. Um, I, I think it's, it could be said to have been exponential for many thousands of years or longer, um, but it, it really is uh, sloping up steeply enough so that it's uh, um, from the perspective of, of human consciousness and, uh, and how we interact with time and information, it, it's... Uh, it's pretty shocking and, and kind of exciting too. So, um, ways that, uh, that, um, our technology or this technology will affect society. Uh, essentially, you can, you can think of Ethereum as a force for universal disintermediation. Um, so intermediation is a very good thing. We, we need it. Uh, it is. Um, many steps in every single transaction, um, in the global economy. And, uh, it's valuable when it adds information or reduces friction and cost in a transaction. Uh, the problem with intermediation, as, as we see, um, in different industries, um, and governments, uh, is that once the intermediaries impose themselves in a transaction or, or in a role, uh, they, it is in their best interest to increase the friction and enabling them to extract more value from whatever transaction or role they're in um, than what they add to the situation. And so um, the best way to determine the value of intermediation is in a massively decentralized con context, and, and that's what Ethereum provides. So we can build platforms um, for industries. So we're building an open music industry platform that will enable artists to register content, to sign usage policies to the content, uh, and rights can flow in real time in one direction and money flows in real time uh, towards the artist and collaborators. And, and essentially that reduces certainly the opportunities for middlemen or middle people intermediaries uh, to get involved. There'll be curators um, of content. There'll be fans uh, who help promote. Uh, so still lots of opportunities for um, making money in that context. But uh, 
uh, much less opportunity for um, using the legal system or other kinds of uh, potential friction causing um, mechanisms to extract too much value uh, in any sort of situation. We're doing something similar for the energy industry. We're building an open energy um, markets infrastructure. And uh, a few days ago, actually, we um, we're, we're, the project is called Transactive Grid, and uh, it, it's the business logic infrastructure for a decentralizing energy industry. Um, and essentially, it um, with photovoltaics and cheaper storage and the recognition that uh, uh, centralized generation of power and long-distance transmission is inefficient, brittle, um, uh, vulnerable, uh, the the electricity industry is decentralizing to some degree already, but there's no way for uh, Alice on one side of the street to get paid um, for sending electrons to Bob on the other side of the street until about uh, 10 days ago, uh, where we did enable that sort of event. It's actually illegal um, in New York State to do that. But... <laughs> I thought it was. I saw that and I was like, there's no way that's but, legal. Uh... It's so obvious for, for the move towards solar energy, though. That's just such an obvious utility that could be useful. Uh, yeah. Um, so it, it uh, we... we um, let the, the two participants know. I, I think they already knew that it was illegal, um, but uh, everybody was on board with the possibility that uh, that we'd get arrested. I think that would be a, a fantastic PR event um, if it did happen. But uh, so far, nobody's been arrested for uh, exchanging a, a few pennies of electricity. <laughs> we well, talked about building. Uh, I wanted to kind of uh, elaborate more on that because one of the most recent developments that you guys got into was that know your customer uh, smart Oracle called the, uh, the POPA, the proof of physical address. And this ties in nicely uh, with kind of the rep card idea and all that. And I was wondering if maybe you could walk us through this and, and why is it so important to tackle, uh, I, I guess what kind of benefits come with being one of the first people to verify your identity early? Um, so identity is critically important for human beings if they want to interact with other human beings on the planet. Uh, reputation is, uh, is another element of that. Um, essentially at consensus, uh, we basically started consensus about 10 months before Ethereum was released and we started it to build a whole bunch of decentralized applications for the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, we've ended up uh, expanding into doing a bunch of consulting work for different kinds of enterprises. Uh, but essentially early on and in all of our consulting work, we found that uh, we needed a pretty rich identity solution so that people could log in and, and maintain reputation uh, in different uh different decentralized applications or platforms that we're building. Um, essentially, identity could be built. Uh, so it, uh, it's a hodgepodge of state-owned um, representations of your identity and Facebook or Google-owned or Twitter-owned represent representations of your identity. And, and you really don't have any control or sovereignty over your own identity and, and no ability to uh, pr perhaps monetize, if you want, your identity or your communications. Uh, instead, uh, uh, billions of dollars effectively go into the pockets of Mark and Sergey and Larry and a uh, handful of other uh, 
identity and service providers. Uh, so we built, uh, and, and so that, you know, in the Western world, that's actually not so bad in, uh, there, there are billions of people around the world that don't have persistent portable identity or reputation. And so, um, building, uh, what we call a self identity and a personal portable reputation system uh, for both Western world or developing and, and developed world worlds um, will enable essentially, we believe, everybody to become enfranchised in a global and open blockchain-based, perhaps, uh, global financial um, infrastructure or global economy. Um uh, our identity system called Uport um, makes use of an identity construct and a persona construct. So an identity uh, can contain multiple personas. So you might have a, a canonical persona in which you uh, lodge a reputational attribute like a state-issued ID or your Facebook or your email. Um, you might have a different persona that you don't want associated with your canonical identity. Um, so that, that can be separate and have its own associated reputation. Um, these persona constructs are containers for reputational attributes, like what I mentioned, and rep rep reputational attestations. So attributes are things about you that you own and control. Attestations are things that people can say about your attributes, like a, a bank can validate that they've seen your state-issued ID and attest to that uh, with a, a strong cryptographic signature on the blockchain, or people that uh, engage with you in purchase and sale transactions or lending, borrowing, or repaying, playing games, or working on projects together can attest to your conduct and, and point to the transactions uh, underlying all of that. So POPA, uh, Proof of Physical Address, is one of many projects that we have planned um, for enabling people to create a, a, a really bushy sense of identity. So we're trying to map real-world identity onto the blockchain uh, captured in these constructs. Um, and we feel like, uh, A, people need to own and control all of their information and be able to selectively disclose or enable uh, decryption of that information for, for certain targets. So if I'm trying to uh, get a loan from a bank, um, I might want to disclose um, information uh, indicating to them that, A, I'm a real person, I'm not some spoofed identity across across the globe, um, and uh, B, that uh, I've repaid some of my previous loans as indicated uh, perhaps on the blockchain or, or in some other way. So that, that could avail me of uh, perhaps a bigger loan or a better rate or something like that. Um, in, in situations, so, so we're building a, a crowdfunding platform and a lending platform as well. And so you could imagine in, in the developing world uh, that somebody with access to a smartphone could download this software, establish uh, self-sovereign identity, um, have friends or business partners or whatever attest to it, and just start to bootstrap a persistent portable reputation, maybe get a micro loan from the lending platform and, uh, and grow a business, um, in a place where it would be harder to get started. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, I guess, the business sense of, of things, Ethereum's 
released some new details about the state of its finances, and they're looking for more funding. And 18.4 million later, Ethereum needs a little more. So aside from some command line tools and ideas, uh, what's the big aha idea and projects uh, that this funding is going to contribute to? Uh oh, do we have a sound loss? Sorry, you're muted right now. You're muted. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> you said uh, aside from the command line, and then I lost, kind of lost you. So aside from the command line and some other tools, like what's the big aha idea and some projects that all this funding is going to? Um, so the funding is intended to build the protocol. Um, so it, you know, Ethereum is essentially a decentralized application platform. It represents a new kind of decentralized worldwide web, um, making, uh, essentially peer to peer computation and trust minimized computation standard as opposed to, uh, centralized client server type architectures in a mm. client server type architecture, you can't really be certain um, that the system is behaving as advertised. Uh, a rogue system administrator, a corrupt CFO, a hacker can go into a database and change data all the way back to, and you wouldn't be aware of that. So, so those systems have, have uh, real vulnerability um, and they're hard to trust. You really have to trust the reputation of a company. Um, additionally, uh, you, though, in those kinds of systems, even if you had access to the data, um, the business processes could be modified by uh, a company uh, without letting their customers know and, and perhaps they could charge you a little bit more without disclosing that. Um, on Ethereum, uh, you really require a majority of nodes on the system in order to um, change the state of any data in order, or in order to change the state of any of the programs that operate on the data. So there is no way for a small set of actors to improperly manipulate the system. So these are maximally trust-minimized systems, and uh, that's pretty revolutionary. So that's that's what Ethereum built, and lots of other people and companies, thousands of developers um, that we're becoming aware of are building decentralized applications on this trust-minimized platform. Uh, Ethereum spent um, some millions of dollars and uh, effectively lost some millions of dollars because Bitcoin was crashing um, during our, our sale and after. Um, but Ethereum raised funds uh, selling a crypto fuel and wildly exceeded expectations, in my opinion. We built a, a, a pretty spectacular um, decentralized application protocol and two other protocols for data delivery and communications. Um, and there's still a ton of money in the bank. There's actually more than $10 million worth of different kinds of money in the bank. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, so Bitcoin, uh, fiat currencies and, and ether, of course, because the, the monetary base of ether has grown quite significantly. Um, and the roadmap towards scalability is really exciting. So we're going to move to proof of stake at some point. Uh, before the end of the year, probably, um, and 
uh, sharding of address space will follow that probably, I'm guessing, 9 to 12 months after. And that's the solution. Essentially, all blockchain-based systems process every transaction on the network. Um, basically, every every validator or miner has to process every transaction on the network and, and store every piece of information. Um, sharding address space will enable Ethereum to essentially run a whole lot of parallel blockchains um, while keeping the global state consistent. So essentially... Um, subsets of validators will be the transactions in each time frame and other subsets of validators, disjoint subsets will be um, checking on their work. Um, and anytime you have data um, locally uh, as, a, as a validator or as a set of maybe 200 validators that are looking at a specific subset of transactions, uh, those validators can go ahead quickly and inexpensively process those transactions if if um, a transaction happens to reference addresses that are in a different shard uh, then that's a little more expensive um, and a little more time consuming because you have to go over you have to make requests into that other shard to to get information and uh, essentially keep things in sync hmm. so so that's what ethereum wasted all its money on <laughs> not a waste of money Obviously, yeah. Ethereum is great. Definitely not a waste. Definitely not a waste. But I want to talk uh, about Consensus as a company. So Consensus isn't some monolithic corporate entity. To be clear, your medium description is a blockchain venture production studio building decentralized applications and foundational tools based on Ethereum. And you even hire people completely remotely. And plenty of people want to get involved in something like this myself included, but don't know where to start. So do you have any advice for someone like this? Um, so yes, we are a, we started out as a decentralized application boutique, uh, just trying to build stuff on the product side. We've expanded to do quite a lot of consulting work and we've done some deep infrastructure work as well. Uh, our block apps team has built uh the Haskell implementation of Ethereum. Essentially, there are seven implementations of Ethereum that come into sync with one another every 15 seconds on the public blockchain. Uh, the Haskell team has built uh, a client that is uh, uh, beautifully modular and massively scalable. So we we actually make use of that in, in some of our consulting work for delivering private blockchain solutions and consortium blockchain solutions. Um, we... A lot of our projects are homegrown uh, with people who've been with the company for a while. Uh, several of our projects are adopted and uh, have become part of the consensus family. Mm -hmm. Nick Dodson's boardroom and Wayfund are, are really good examples where we've been working really closely with him and uh, um, essentially um, making what he's done hopefully quite a, quite a bit better. Uh, we started the company before Ethereum was released, before there was any sort of ecosystem. So we had to effectively uh, build enough components so that we had enough of an ecosystem so that even one of our applications could work. So we started out with these things and uh, 
And we realized that uh, there were a handful of projects that we were interested in building uh, that would be necessary and could serve as core components or building blocks uh, for other decentralized applications and, and for some of the platforms that uh, that we were starting to build. And so those are the things like different kinds of wallets and the identity persona and reputation stuff and that stuff into a KYC solution. Uh, we built token issuance and management and decentralized uh, token exchange. Uh, we built voting systems and um, glue systems. Uh, BTC Relay is an exciting project that we're going to release in the next few days that basically glues the Ethereum blockchain to other blockchains. Um, in its initial target will be the Bitcoin blockchain, and, and we will be able to track transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain from a smart contract on Ethereum. Essentially, um, it's like an SPV wallet embodied in a smart contract, and we'll be able to do atomics, atomic swaps between Bitcoin and Ether. Um, so we basically track that uh, Bitcoin moves from user A to user B, and uh, that releases Ether to move from, you can basically validate that that transaction uh, happened on the Bitcoin blockchain when it's submitted, and that releases uh, Ether from user B to, to user A. Uh, we can pay for different services on Ethereum with Bitcoin, um, and we can potentially create a, a bi-directional peg uh, so we can issue an Ether Bitcoin token uh, and essentially lock up uh, some Bitcoin in a multi-sig address uh, on the Bitcoin protocol. Um, it uh, because Ethereum is powerful enough, we can do that automatically from the Bitcoin to Ether side. Um, but in moving from an, an Ether Bitcoin token uh, to uh, pure Bitcoin to releasing that locked up Bitcoin, uh, we would need something like a federated solution because Bitcoin can't validate transactions on the Ethereum network. Um, so how do how does one get involved? We're constantly talking to people, constantly hearing about projects. Um, and, and hiring quite a bit too. So, um, it is indeed a mesh of different projects. Um, we expect to keep a bunch of projects in house for a while, but anytime any project, uh, um, gets mature enough to, um, leave the nest, seek external investment, um, then we'll, we'll certainly support that. Ho hopefully we'll, uh, uh, be able to keep Lots of our projects together, uh, we communicate and cooperate really well, and we're forging really tight interoperation between lots of our different applications. So hopefully we can keep that going for a while. And uh, and when these projects do spin out as uh, independent entities, they're, uh, maybe that cooperation will remain part of their DNA, and, uh, and they'll always be close to their sibling companies. Hmm. Thank so you. You guys have you guys have definitely pumped all your work into the Ethereum platform for a very good reason. The solidity, the Turing complete language allows for a much more general um, application development that that the Bitcoin code simply can't allow for. Um, and it's like I personally believe in a broad ecosystem of of cryptocurrencies that are useful for what they're built for, uh, and I was curious about how you feel about the blockchain ecosystem in the future and whether or not you have any feelings towards something like Rootstock that is trying to enable uh, smart contracts into the Bitcoin, into the Bitcoin blockchain. 
And um, it's, it's definitely, I guess you would call it a competitor, but it may also allow you to do things like verify transactions and have an Ether to bear a Bitcoin to Ether peg that isn't currently available. Uh, that's a good point. So I, I think um, a lot of us on the Ethereum project and at consensus, uh, our Bitcoiners love Bitcoin, uh, hope and expect that the Bitcoin system a fixes this and uh, more usable, more scalable, uh, and and hopefully it can serve as the financial fat pipes of a uh, a, a global uh, digital economy. Um, it uh, I don't believe that people should be trying to build lots of different use cases on it. So Ethereum is really valuable for that. Uh, there are other projects like uh, the interplanetary file system and associated protocols. That we use extensively in our in our decentralized applications. There are some uh, blockchain based or blockchain like databases uh, um, that uh, have significant capacity and, and transactional throughput um, that will be really valuable for many solutions. Bigchain DB is uh, the I guess the shining example of that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're it's early days, and we're all just um, exploring the solution space. Still, I, I think Ethereum, as a an application development platform, has an enormous lead. Um, so Sergio Sergio Dean Lerner was in the office a couple of weeks ago, and he's he's a really brilliant guy, essentially a Bitcoin core dev. Um, he, we we at Ethereum hired him to uh, do a security audit of the Ethereum project, uh, and. I think it's fair to say that he fell in love with the Ethereum at that point, but uh, still thinks largely in terms of, of doing things that would positively influence the uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so, you know, he came up with the solution to effectively take what we've done and try to glom it on to Bitcoin as a sidechain. Um, sidechains themselves are, are just a broken idea. Um, they are a deeply insecure idea. And I think it's, it may be safe to say that Blockstream has, um, has not continued to pursue the idea. Uh, essentially, if you look at their GitHub, I don't, I don't think there's been that much activity going on, at least publicly. Um, so, as a pure sidechain, it's a terrible idea. So Sergio has proposed this federated mechanism where you get a small number of trusted actors to serve as validators. And um, some of them would be university presidents, so you can really trust them. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a little bit funny. But uh, without um, sidechains as a solution and with 10-minute block times, um, I think it's going to be a non-starter. Um, I, I like your example um, that uh, if you do uh, essentially take uh, so so what Sergio has right now um, is basically the the Ethereum Go code base and a, a little bit of glue code and and his team again uh, pretty brilliant team is trying to build some other components <laughs> targeting a set of tethers so that it doesn't look uh, glued onto Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, what that would enable potentially, uh, is maybe a handful of use cases, as you described, uh, a bi-directional, um, uh, 
bidirectional peg um, or bidirectional atomic swaps um, would be very cool. Uh, there are probably a handful of other use cases, but uh, I really think the usability of 10-minute block times for for decentralized applications is it's kind of ludicrous. It, and, and if you start using the Ether Ethereum protocol to just do transactions to send Ether from one person to another, um, as people do with Bitcoin, uh, you will slowly or you will very quickly uh, understand how slow um, it is to use Bitcoin uh, in that context. It, it's really uh, tremendous being able to see 12 confirmations in, in maybe a couple minutes and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and know that you're just done. So, so we've actually thrown we've around actually the thrown idea, around the idea. Um, um, that Bitcoin may have stonewalled itself into being just currency. And because of the 10 minute time, because of how slow things move when it comes to the huge open source project and so many opinions being in there. Of course, this blockchain debate has been taken up like 18 months worth of time. It seems like maybe not that long. That's probably too long. Maybe a year's worth of time. But do you think that because Bitcoin has, I guess, stoned its wall as currency, that's the only thing it ever can be? I think it's pretty close to the only thing it ever should be, or, or at least it should stick to a uh, people building on it should stick to a, a narrow set of use cases. Uh, Bitcoin was designed as an experiment in monetary theory, and it became wildly successful just because the world was primed uh, for this new kind of approach. Um, really, really just a, a brilliant tour de force piece of work. Um, but it wasn't designed as a decentralized application protocol or, or platform. And that's exactly what Ethereum was designed from the ground up to be. And so it's, it's much more appropriate. We, we, um, do forks semi regularly, um, cer certainly on, on the test net. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've gone through lots of different proofs of concept where, where we develop for a while, everybody comes into sync and, and that becomes the system. Uh, so a lot of that happened before version one of the protocol was released. So we, we really understand that as a decentralized application platform, we need to be agile. We need to keep up with the technology, uh, keep uh, offering new capabilities and features drive towards scalability. Um, the Bitcoin ecosystem moves at glacial paces, uh, probably for good reason. Um, they're, they're protecting about $6 billion worth of value. Um, Ethereum's not quite there, but it's, uh, it's, it's a fair chunk of that monetary base size. But still, as an, a decentralized application platform, we um, need to cater to the software developers. Um, so I, th there are ways of building some interesting use cases, interesting financial use cases um, onto the Bitcoin protocol, but essentially you have to build outside of the protocol. And if you want to keep it secure, uh, you need to pretty much layer uh, sets of cryptographic primitives to get that done. So there, there's some brilliant people at companies like Digital Asset Holdings and and Blockstream. Uh, DAH uh, is, I think, very comfortable um, in exploring, building really rigorous solutions for a small um, set of financial use cases and and believing that they don't need generalized smart contracts to get their work done. Um, and so... Uh, it'll be more than just money, but um, 
uh, you won't be building open music industry platforms on Bitcoin. Hmm. The way I've the way I've kind of always seen it is that um, Ethereum is is more of a um, move fast and break things type of platform where <laughs> it needs to be flexible to innovate to to be with the dev developers of, of these innovative products. Whereas Bitcoin is kind of a slow, as you as you put it, glacially moving protocol that is is money. And I don't want to downplay the fact that it's only money. Money is a pretty big thing. We use it for just about everything we do in terms of transacting value. So the fact that Bitcoin has been a quote air quote pigeonholed into this this use case means that it's taking up a large role in human society and it's probably best if we treat it as only this one thing. Whereas something like a decentralized application development platform is better served to be fast moving and innovative. Uh, Absolutely. And essentially from the start of the Ethereum project, we didn't view the token as money and nobody talked about the token as anything except a crypto fuel to pay for computational operations and storage. Uh, just because if you don't force people to pay for those things, then an infinite loop can freeze the whole system. Or if somebody uploads too much data, then uh, they're effectively um, asking lots of people to redundantly store uh tons of useless information. So um, Bitcoin did start as a money and um, past the crypto anarchist phase, it, it uh, attracted the interest of lots of financial industry people, whether they were just um, crypto day traders or, or people in, in hedge funds and banks. And, and so uh, being seen as a money uh, right from the start um, has colored the kinds of investment and, and the approach to development of the ecosystem. Um, we, we had a conference, I guess, in November, uh, for Ethereum in London, um, had about 400 people in attendance and thousands of people watching streams. And it was a week long conference. And I, we, a, a few of us remarked about this after the event. Uh, we're like, nobody once talked about the price of Ether. Uh, no, it was all just about uh, um, software development, and cool things that you could build, the cool Which tools that people were building. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so something else that I, I guess we only have a few more questions, so we won't take up too much of your time. Um, something I read recently on Medium discussed the current trend of everyone making platforms and not so much content, which may be deteriorating from the quality of content producers. Um, everyone wants to be the go-to source that everything is built upon, especially right now because the, 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 the space is so young and we have this um, disruptive technology taking over. Uh, and so less people are really making quality end-user content or end-user end products. Do you have an opinion on this? And where does consensus fit in? Is it just so young that you have to make the platforms or are you trying to be the, the one-stop shop for everyone to build upon? So when you say content, you mean uh, decentralized applications or um, is that what you're pretty, talking about? Pretty much. You're focused on, it's, I guess, the difference between focusing on pushing something to the end user or pushing something for the developer to use to push something to the end user. If that makes, if that makes any sense. We may have just lost it. 
Uh, can you say that again? I, I just okay. turned off the camera so I could hear you better. Hopefully. Uh, okay. So it's, I guess it's, I'm trying to, I guess, make a distinction between companies that are focusing on making things to push to a developer or a, co or some, a company making something to push to an end user. And right now it seems like the current trend is to make platforms that are being pushed to developers and not so much things that we push to the end user. Whereas if we move, if I guess if mass, if mass adoption is to occur, we really need the, the quote unquote killer apps to take over. How does consensus fit into this? Are, are you really trying to push everything to um, the developer so that they can build really good killer apps from the ground up easily? Um, yeah, so we are full stack. Um, we do focus very significantly on the developer. Um, but even more significantly on the end user, the consumer, whether it's in a, a public blockchain context or in a private enterprise context, um, it, it is valuable and necessary for lots of different groups with different ideas to explore the solution space of what's possible at the protocol level. Uh, that's going to continue for a while. I, I really uh, uh, Ethereum has has pretty much nailed it. it the will require a huge amount of improvement in many different dimensions um, in order to make it a, a globally usable platform. Uh, but that is um, strongly continuing. Um, and, and really, until this point, except for um, maybe uh, some groups that stood up APIs on the Bitcoin blockchain, um, there hasn't been a, the ability for the average software developer to build whatever they want to build uh, with the same ease that they would build a web application or a mobile application. So Ethereum really provided that. Uh, there were other kinds of um, situations that tried to add functionality to either Bitcoin as a meta protocol or to other blockchains, but uh, essentially that required specialist programmers to build in uh, feature after feature uh, to extend the capability of the platform, either at the protocol level or at the client level, um, in, essentially in the case of, uh, of colored coins. And so that's just not a scalable way to um, build out different use cases, uh, to build functionality. And so really in the, in the blockchain space, um, before it was called blockchain even, um, all of the programmers that were attracted to it uh, were really working at the protocol level. Uh, Ethereum, for the you know, finally, has enabled um, thousands of programmers and probably soon millions of programmers to um, just do what they do, just basically build applications on a um, eventually mature platforms. Uh, not not really have to worry about uh, um, the mechanics of TCP/IP or or other low level protocols. I'll definitely say that the uh, the products that you've created so far, you know, Truffle, the IDE, and the built-in um, contract deployment in the official wallet, those are all great things that really get people running. The examples you've made, it's really easy to get started playing with Ethereum and testing out what you can do. Cool. Happy to hear that. Yeah, it, it, it's not it's not super trivial still because it's still early, but uh, we really are trying hard to uh, to make it easy uh, to build powerful tools for the developer and uh, and to build uh, elegant user interfaces and cool products for the consumer. 
Um, we recently we were at the Microsoft Build Conference uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and released a um, a project template, a Solidity project template for Microsoft Visual Studio, which has a user base of 9 million software developers worldwide. So now those 9 million people can start building decentralized applications uh, on Ethereum. Uh, we have put a bunch of our tools on the Azure cloud. And so um, we're writing Truffle actually to, to that release uh, right now. So it's going to be really full-featured um, environment for developing smart contracts and full decentralized applications using using Visual Studio. And you can essentially compile and single-click deploy to Azure uh, using that tool. So it's, uh, it's really quite elegant. Cool. So last question we got for you, and we appreciate your time thus far. Um, short and sweet, in uh, 10 words or less, can you describe Ethereum? Uh, Ethereum is a decentralized application platform that everybody can trust because everybody has their own local copy of it. Ooh, barely over 10, but we'll accept it. <laughs> it's an impossible task. It's you. hard. <laughs> <laughs> Feedback we get, which is kind of why we like the question. Cool. I think we ask everyone. Well, once yes. again, we'd like to thank you for your time and um, the conversation. We, we, we personally at the Bitcoin podcast love Ethereum and what y'all are doing, and we believe cool. in, a, in a broad ecosystem of coins that are used for what they're good for. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, your interest is much appreciated. Uh, any Anytime you want to speak to any of our developers or, or me again at some point in the future, um, just reach out. Awesome. We'll hold you to that. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks, guys. Have a good evening. And that was the interview with Marcello's friend Joe, uh, but Joseph Lubin, uh, one of the Gandalfs of the Ethereum project. Um, he is a founder. He is a, he's pretty much like Gandalf the, the gray. I think Vitalik is probably Gandalf the White, but he's Gandalf the Gray. Even I mean, that's considering Gandalf could be two separate people. Talking like personality-wise. I'm going off the rails a little bit here, but it was a great interview. Uh, very, very smart guy. Uh, and if there's people like him working on Ethereum and people like him working in the cryptocurrency space altogether then this thing is going to be huge because we're building a digital economy. We're building things that the world hasn't seen before and hasn't been able to do before. And so if you think Bitcoin is going to be the only thing that ushers that in, you're wrong. That's like thinking that there's only ever going to be Ford cars driving around because they're the ones that ushered in manufacturing processes like they do. They ushered that in. That's a good analogy. That's stupid. It's dumb. Don't be dumb. We're smart. This whole community is built on smart people, pretty much. We start with Satoshi and then go to Gavin, and then it just gets smart and smart. There's even smarter than Satoshi and Gavin, probably, in this community. So we got to stop succumbing to dumb emotional things and saying things like, stop peddling your shit coin. That's stupid. If anything, if we all work together and build this digital economy, the, what is it? Rising tide lifts all seas. Who said that? Which guest did we have on that said that? Huh? Fitch. 
John Fitch. That's right. So I just want to get off my soapbox and then pick it up and then throw it at your face. Whoever said that stupid shit like Ethereum is a shit coin. Uh, but it's not. And speaking of Ethereum, they're doing some fun stuff. IPFS, DAO. Corey, talk about the DAO. That stuff is interesting. Decentralized automated organization. Mm-hmm. So it's, I guess it's like the, it's a, it's a new way of governance for people dealing. I don't know. I kind of see it as a decentralized hedge fund. Um, you create a DAO token, which then by having access to the token, you then have, um, depending on how the DAO organizes itself, you can have, um, privileges for creating proposals on where to spend the money of the DAO. And then everyone can vote based on um, how many tokens they own. So your vote has weight based upon how much tokens you own. And of course, this is, these things are all programmable and changed based on the organization you want to create. But um, what's been important is that up until now, creating a DAO and accessing the tokens or buy, you know, buying the tokens to become part of the organization um, has been somewhat difficult and mm. it was, you can only get, get through it, get to do it by purchasing them with ether. So that there was your only payment channel for becoming a part of these organizations. Um, and so you had to go, you know, Bitcoin to ether, ether to ether to the DAO and then hold on to the DAO and see how that worked out. But now a lot of the large organizations, a large, the large exchanges have essentially incorporated the DAO framework into their exchange so that you can become part of whatever decentralized autonomous organization you may want to be a part of and buy the tokens with whatever cryptocurrency you want. As long as it's through, as long as that exchange supports it. So becoming a part of a decentralized autonomous organization, which then, you know, contracts out different service providers to do different things. Uh, is much, much, much easier now. Now, the the idea of a DAO is very different. Um, and I would recommend you go and read about it before getting into getting into one because it's very easy to just give somebody your money because you think DAOs are cool and then it's not real. So a lot of people will create them, but there will only be probably a few good ones. Mm-hmm. But the ability to get into one is much easier. So it's not limited to the small amount of people that understand what it is that get in early and do it right. Like the people who are just kind of just sitting in the slock at slack, waiting for them to announce their Dow crowd sales so they could get as many tokens as they can and then try and sell them later, which is essentially why the vast majority of people are in the socket slack, I think. I'm not in this locket slack, but that is one hell of a tongue twister. Yeah. And they're not like that like that company, Slocket, is not a DAO. It's two separate entities. So what there's what Slocket is trying to do as a company is wait for a good DAO to exist and then they'll become the service provider of that DAO. So they've made the framework for creating decentralized autonomous organizations and then released it to everyone to create their own decentralized autonomous organizations. So like if you have, if we have a common goal and we want to make something happen in the world, we make a crowd sale for a DAO token. And then however money, much money that crowd sale raises becomes essentially the fund in which everyone who has a token gets to manage. 
Hmm. And then they can make the change they want to make in a decentralized manner that have very good transparent voting rights. Well, All right, let's wrap it. we're running out of gas. That was a Ethereum pun. We're going to wrap this up at the BTC podcast on Twitter. That's our jam. That's where we tweet. We tweet all kinds of stuff, like T-shirt ideas. Uh, you guys need to let us know if you want one of those Thamos's bitch made. Hashtag Thamos's bitch made shirts, because uh, we're getting them made and we want to send them out to you guys. Oh, we got some responses on the BTC Reddit. It's like you guys are low brow. That's not what he said. He said, "Way to be twelve years old, guys." And Corey, thanks for having my back with that one. How about yeah. you guys get the sticks out of your asses because. Thamos is bitch made. I mean, yeah, no I like wrong. how like about eight or nine other comments that get upvoted at the top are like "fuck Thamos." Yeah, and someone's getting mad at us because we make a T-shirt that is not that bad. Yeah, <laughs> and it also represents the you know the the sentiment of the community. Yeah, it's so that is funny. It's not it's... People want to wear the T-shirt to work, and that yeah. that's cool. But we're not, that's not what this T-shirt's for. You're not yeah. wearing this T-shirt to work. And then, You're wearing it to the street. I think it's so funny. Like you just hit the nail on that. You could post something that says Thamos should be stoned, and it'll get upvoted to the very top with applause and tips. But we make a shirt that says hashtag Thamos is bitch made, and the first comment is, "You guys are immature." <laughs> <It's> like, what? <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, what else do we do? The Facebook. Go to our Facebook. Like it. Uh, we post our episodes on there every once in a while. I drink too much coffee and start reading historical quotes and then post articles on there. <laughs> and then uh, we had a Z- oh, sorry, Eric. I saw on our website you said, "Hey, we pushed Zap Chain all these time, ta- all this time, and I finally get a Zap Chain." And then we stopped the Zap Chain. I'm sorry, dude. Zap Chain got weird. Uh, but if we turn into enough of a thing, we'll maybe open up a Slack channel and you can come hang out with us there. Um, what else do we do, guys? iTunes. iTunes. Stitcher. Oh, yeah, that's one thing we haven't asked you to do in a while. If you listen to the show and you liked it, go on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. We'll give you a high five, but then, but a virtual high five because we're nowhere near you probably. Um, if you want to give us four stars, you can take that four stars and fuck off. I mean that. I mean that in my heart. You can suck a lot of dicks like that Steve Sagalaga guy. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Um, we're on Stitcher. We're on insert uh, podcast app. We have yeah. an RSS feed. We're out there. Um, what else did we do? Yeah, it's enough. Yeah, that's enough for now. The Bitcoinpodcast.com, of course. Um, thanks for sticking around all this time, guys. It's been a year. So if you've been listening to us since day one and you like that, um, thank you for sticking around. Will, thank you for sticking around. Some of the other diehards that listen to us. It's been a great year. We're going to keep doing it. Um, one last shout out. Uh, MK, we got the goods. Thank you for the shirts, Airbits. Thank you for the shirts and the, and the swag. We're going to try and do our part to get people to understand Bitcoin as ambassadors. I still need my shirt. Yeah, I got it. You want me to bring it to you after the show? Uh, Yeah, we can start on that gym, too, if you want. For show? Yeah. Today? 
Yeah, I got to clean out my garage. But this is, we should probably talk about this. Yes, we should probably do that after the show. <laughs> I want to hear about this shit. <laughs> and play the outro.